Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. and all this is Joe and Rufty here on the Old Dominion Libertarian Radio Network and we are firing on all cylinders today it's uh, the first of May a brand new month and everything's going well so uh, trying to unmute everybody's microphone here and uh, blog talk radio is giving me trouble there we go we got Jeff and now we have Jeffrey Gentlemen, how are you tonight? Hey, Joe. Good evening. Now, now Andy should be here because um, he acknowledged the fact that we had a show tonight, 
And I meant to tease him. I meant to message him and say, you know, if you need a charger, I can a phone charger, I can bring you one, but it might be a while. Um, <laughs> he's, he likes to do the second half of the show. Joe, uh, Andy, Andy's too big for our for our little show. He can only do half. <laughs> yeah, well. He is sort of a he is sort of a celebrity. Well, I have to I have to ask Jeff a question. Um, it's not really pertaining to libertarianism, but it's a local story that he mentioned. Uh, did you hear any more about the shooting, the school shooting, Jeff? No, I just saw on Channel 12 News they said one person was shot. They didn't say if anybody died, but they said one person was shot, and the gunman was not in custody. Um, I'm going to go look on the Channel 12 website now and see what happens. But okay. it was a gun. It was in a gun-free zone. If that, you know, surprises you. Yeah, well, it does because it it really does surprise me because gun-free zones. I mean, that's the whole purpose of gun-free zones is so that there will be no guns. I mean, you know, if if I was going to inflict harm on somebody or do something using a gun, the last thing I would do was read the sign and then take a gun in there anyway. I mean, you well, know. Well, they just said three teens, it said three teens broke into a building near Norell High School on the school grounds, but not in the school, and they shot an employee. It's Norell oh, okay. Elementary School. I don't know where that is. It's on Graham Street. I don't even know that, 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 I, that I've at, heard of it, but I know where Graham yeah, is. Yeah, 5, p, 5 p.m., three teens broke into the building and one fired a shot. So what are they doing? They're committing burglary. They're trespassing, breaking and entering, malicious wounding, and using a firearm in commission of a felony and carrying a gun on school property. Um, I think we just need another law. You know, we need to add another law into that to stop them. Yeah, because they were obeying all the others. Yeah. It says one of the teens is wearing... Yeah, it said four employees were... We can put a protective order on them, too, now, for the rest of their lives. Just put a protective order against them not to do that to anybody else. That might help. Right. It says the person (laughs) shot was suffering suffering non-life-threatening injuries. One of the teens is wearing all black with a red bandana cover. Well, that's a felony in Virginia, too. So how many felonies is that? Five or six felonies all in one, because it's a, it's a felony in Virginia to wear a mask in public. So here, let's pass another. I don't know what kind of law we can pass, but we need to do something. We need to stop the NRA from causing the giving these guns to these kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they put them in their Christmas stockings, I think. Um. Yeah. But, <laughs> They drive around in the van bad, and hand them out I to everybody. Have, I shouldn't have said that, but that's, <laughs> you know. That's, yeah, they drive around in the van uh, and they hand them out. My son killed his <laughs> first deer at age four. Your son what? Killed his first deer at age four. Was he driving, Jeffrey? No, he shot it with a uh, 223. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh. through the heart at about 60 yards. That's a wow. good shot. Yeah, we we definitely good shot. With, uh, with uh, guns and our Christmas stockings over here for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, see, this is what I was what I'm going to talk about now um, is exactly why I wanted Andy Craig to be here because he had some 
very interesting insight in this today. Did you all hear about Trump and how we could have avoided the Civil War? Oh, no. Um, I don't need, I'm afraid to even hear anyway, that. Yeah, yeah, wait, hold on. I think it was, how would he have done it? I don't know. Let's see. What did he? I don't think he said. He just asked the question, didn't he? He asked, uh, "How did how did we allow that? I mean, how did that not get worked out ahead of time, or something like that? How, why couldn't they work?" Yeah, that and, out? Then expla- and then he explained. And then he explained the reason. Okay, yeah, Trump's Trump's totally bizarre claim about the Civil War, and and that came after he was griping about how the 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 Constitution and the limits on presidential power are keeping him from doing what he want, what he really wants to do. Hmm. I mean, remember when Obama said that pesky Constitution, and he wagged his finger at the American people, and he said, you know, it's that pesky Constitution that's keeping me from doing what I want, you know? <laughs> that's, that's what I... <laughs> That's what I posted on Facebook. But getting back to Trump, um, Trump's totally bizarre claim about avoiding the Civil War. Um, let's see here. I read it, but I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, why couldn't we all just get along? That's what President Trump wants to know about the Civil War. <laughs> and here's mm. um, here, here here's the exchange um, with the, the – Solano Zito at the Washington Examiner and Trump says uh, Jackson was a was a swashbuckler, but when his wife died, did you know he visited her grave every day? I visited her grave actually because I was in Tennessee. And Zito says, "Oh, that's right, you were in Tennessee." And Trump says, "It was amazing. The people of Tennessee are amazing people. They love Andrew Jackson. They love Andrew Jackson in Tennessee. He's bigly there." No, I added that part. Bigly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I added that. Uh, because Zito uh, goes, yeah, he's, it, he's yeah. a fascinating. And Trump interrupts and says, I mean, had Andrew Jackson been a little later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was a very tough person, but he had a big heart, and he was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to, to the Civil War. He said, mm-hmm. there's no reason for this. People don't realize, you know, the Civil War, if you think about it, why? People don't ask that question, but why was there the Civil War? Why Why could that one not have been worked out? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's And here's the problem, though, and this, and this article points it out. It says one gla- there's one glaring issue here. Andrew Jackson wasn't really angry about what was happening with the Civil War because he died more than a decade before it started. He died in 1845, and the Civil War started in 1861. That's like Hillary Clinton saying she was named after Sir Edmund Hillary when she was four years old after, when he climbed Mount Everest. Well, they they knew oh. he, they knew that he was going to climb it at some point. Oh, is so, that a, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, and then you got well, and then you got Focahontas. <laughs> Lyle Wasa. You know, that, I, I thought it was funny that somebody said uh, they referred to um, what's that lady's real name? 
Pocahontas' real name? The lady from Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. Warren. Yeah, Matt, Elizabeth Warren. They, they said someone refers to Elizabeth Warren as a, using a racial slur. And That's I'm not like, a racial slur. I mean, calling her Pocahontas is not a racial slur. It's a slur against her no. politically, right? I mean... No. I don't think that's a racial the, slur, is it? The correct term, the correct term against her would be Focahontas because she's false. F A U X A Hontas. Focahontas. Another thing to call her would be Standing Eagle because she's so full of crap that she can't fly. <laughs> oh. Uh, what yeah. About well. Coming after I, the libertarians, huh? Well, What's yeah. I, I like the Pope coming after libertarians. Yeah. And Did you speech, see you know what I put I on think? my Facebook page? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, 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 the image, the one that I shared. Yes, yes. But, that's um, thanks to see, Joe. I, here's, what I, here's, what I, here's what I think, Jeffrey. I think somebody told the Pope about libertarians, because I don't think he knew who we were before that. Somebody told him about us, and he said, you know, I think I'll use them in my speech today. And voila. That's what you get. He's just a big bullshitter. Mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, I, you know, I don't. I've never. The Pope's never mentioned us before, and maybe you know, maybe we are becoming such a, a a threat to big government that he felt the need to say something. I don't know. Um, I hope that. Well, again, anybody... it's amazing that the Pope, that the Pope would be in, into. Politics well enough to even recognize the libertarian movement's growing. It must be growing over there too, huh? I mean, in Europe. I mean, we, I need to know more about that libertarians in Europe. It is. Thing. The, yeah, they're getting their their libertarian parties are growing over there. I don't know how much, mm-hmm. but they are. But uh, our guest tonight is Cliff Hira. He's a libertarian running for governor of Virginia. He is going to be seeking the Libertarian Party of Virginia's nomination on May 6th, which is this Saturday. And if you want to come and meet Cliff on Saturday, you can. And if you pay your dues and join the Libertarian Party of Virginia and the National Party, it's $50 to do both, 25 for one. It's kind of how the math works there. Um, you can um, come and you can vote and Help us select our nominee for governor. And I hope some of you listeners out there will do that. And we're going to talk to Cliff tonight, and hopefully some of you folks who live here in the area will like what you what you hear, and you'll want to help out with the campaign. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Cliff on now, and we'll get started. Hi, everyone. and Good evening. Hi, Cliff. Hey, Cliff. How are you? Good, evening, Good. thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, I heard you the other night at the King William Tea Party, and boy, they threw some uh, tough questions at you. Um, and, and I promised you tonight these um, these wouldn't be as hard as that, um, mostly because I can't re- remember all the questions that they asked. So, um, <laughs> But uh, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run for governor. Sure. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, a regular guy. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I have a kind of my own practice and, uh, you know, I have a family, three 
young children and, and another one on the way. I'm a strong libertarian, I think, and I've had, you know, I've been voting for libertarians for many years now, probably um, 15 years or so, uh, pretty much as soon as I could, could vote. So it's important to me to have a libertarian uh, on the ballot, and I think there's a lot of issues here in Virginia that uh, require change that a libertarian mm. governor could, could address. And I don't think that you're going to get that change from anybody else. I don't hear the other candidates offering real solutions. Obviously, here in Virginia, we've had, it seems to be back and forth every year, Republican, Democratic governor. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference in how they're governing. Um, So, you know, I never see an opportunity here for, you know, a governor or even a governor candidate to influence uh, the discussion, move the the policy framework and, uh, you know, hopefully accomplish something, something meaningful uh, for the uh, people of Virginia. Wonderful. That's great. Um, As you know, Robert Sarvis uh, ran um, in 2013, and I think uh, Bob Shannon at the the Tea Party meeting the other night uh, said that he did endorse Rob Sarvis in uh, 2013. That was, for him, that was an easy choice. Um, as far as I can tell, he's not happy with most of the candidates running now. Um, uh, he definitely doesn't like Frank Wagner. We heard about that. Um, hmm. So uh, you you may get his endorsement again this time. Um, so um, do you guys want to chime in here and ask some questions? I I'm going to start. I would like to ask two questions. Number one, what brought you to libertarianism how long have you been a libertarian and do you consider yourself a pure libertarian or a mostly libertarian and the second question (laughs) is what's your stance on the second amendment okay yeah i've been a libertarian you know as i said for probably 15 years or so i I kind of grew up uh, as a a democrat i guess they say you know if you uh if you don't grow up as a democrat then uh you have a cold heart, uh, and if you stay a Democrat, then you have a, a weak mind. So uh, I, I made that transition. Uh, you know, I went to college. I kind of started it. I was exposed to that some sort of libertarian ideas, read some libertarian-type books, uh, you know, Rand and, and Hayek and uh, people like that. And, and then I went to law school at George Mason, and I had some great, you know, libertarian professors, Don Boudreaux. Uh, as well as, you know, Tyler Cowen and, and Russell Roberts, Alex Tabrock, or, you know, uh, at least libertarian leaning uh, and, and really built that framework out for me as far as libertarianism being more than just a good idea in the abstract, but uh, something that's well supported by, you know, economics, science, uh, it has real solutions that, that work in the real world. Um, so that's kind of when I, I became really staunch, you know, I would say libertarian as, as uh, during law school in my early 20s, um, uh, being 34 now. So, um, and, and I don't know, you know, am I a, a pure libertarian or not? I, probably most people would not consider me to be, um, be just because I'm more of an uh, incrementalist. You know, I try to stay humble about what we know and what we don't know. So my whole um, – idea is to move, you know, in the direction of more freedom and more choice uh, everywhere and in every way. Uh, But I'm not proposing, you know, radical overhauling 
uh, of different systems. You know, I don't think that's something that uh, the people here in Virginia would, would accept, you know, a massive change in a short period of time. And, you know, to be honest with ourselves, you know, we don't know how that would turn out, especially just because people are not used to, you know, those kinds of changes, those kinds of institutions. So, uh, you know, I'm more of a, mar you know, acting at the margin, uh, making changes incrementally, you know, everywhere that we can, introducing more competition. Um, and so I guess I'll get to the second part of your question. I think the Second Amendment, uh, I feel strongly about the Second Amendment. I mean, it's obviously constitutional right, and I, you know, am all for um, allowing people to exercise their constitutional rights with as few restrictions as possible. Um, you know, people ask me a lot about constitutional carry here in Virginia, uh, if someone put that bill, you know, on my desk, I would sign it. Uh, so, uh, I think 14 other states that have constitutional carry. I'm not aware of, you know, that causing problems, increasing crime, or anything like that. Virginia, of course, already has uh, permitless open carry. So, you know, I don't see a big difference between someone, you know, carrying a firearm on their in their holster and, and in their pocket. Um, so, you know, that, that's my position as far as Second Amendment goes. What are your what are Thank your you. uh, primary issues that you want to get done as as governor as libertarian governor? What's your main libertarian platform for governor? Yeah, I I have a whole you know menu of things that I'd like to accomplish, but you know I, I'm really pushing two things that I think um, you know are important to people here in Virginia. And, and number one is the economy. You know we have pretty slow growth here in Virginia. As I've been saying in my speeches, you know, we've had compound annual growth rate here in Virginia of, of below 1% for, for over a decade. We still have a pretty high number of Virginians who are unemployed, marginally attached, part-time for economic reasons, about 10%. And, you know, there's no secret for why we're having such slow growth here in Virginia. I don't think we've had, you know, any anybody cut the income tax ever uh, I think Gillespie is proposing like $5 a week or something like that, some tiny, you know, cut. Um, you know, I want to uh, eliminate the income tax on at least the first $50,000 of income each year. Uh, I want to repeal some of the burdensome, you know, business taxes, business regulations uh, that make it difficult to open a small business and keep it open, uh, like the BPOL and business personal property, machine and tool taxes, uh, some of the restrictions on, on getting into a new profession, uh, like occupational licensing requirements where you're required to pay fees and, and do training just to uh, hold yourself out as a cosmetologist or an interior decorator. That's, you know, really absurd. Um, so that's one, one prong of, you know, my platform is uh, really getting rid of some of these uh, regulations and taxes that, you know, choke off growth, um, you know, eliminating the income tax on the first $50,000 of income each year is something that would save the average household in Virginia about $2,500 a year. Uh, and, you know, there's so much that, that people could do with that money as far as investing it in them, themselves and, you know, schooling or training or investing it in their, their business or in starting a new business or in their children, you know, saving for their schooling and so forth. So I think that would really increase growth here in Virginia, um, improve the climate for business. So that's one aspect. And the other one, which uh, dovetails with it to some extent, you know, is the justice system. We really need criminal justice reform here in Virginia. It's long overdue. We're really trailing a lot of the country in this area. Uh, unfortunately, the, the justice system in Virginia is not very just. 
uh, not not very fair, and, and it has a discriminatory effect as well. There's too many Virginians who are languishing in prison for victimless crimes like drug drug use, away from their families, and obviously, you know, from productive work. Uh, and there's too much money that we're spending on enforcing the drug prohibition. Uh, not just about three billion dollars a year that we're spending out of the budget, but also the billions of wages that are not earned because the workers are sitting idle behind bars, a billion dollars you know, in, in lost tax revenue. There's about 40,000 people arrested for drug crimes every year in Virginia, uh, of which marijuana arrests about 60% of those. Um, and, and this number has been skyrocketing over the last 10 or 15 years, uh, even while other types of crime, violent crime, property crimes have fallen by uh, quite a bit. And some people have asked me, do you think one is correlated with the other? Maybe there's less violent crimes because there's, we're arresting people preemptively for, for a drug arrest. Um, but that's not the case because if you look nationwide, uh, property crimes and, and violent crimes are falling everywhere by quite substantial amounts. And drug arrests are not climbing uh, overall. They're, they're falling quite significantly. So Virginia is really an outlier that they are continuing to have an escalating level of drug arrests, even while other kinds of arrests are, are going down. And we have here in Virginia, uh, arrest quotas are legal and uh, they're actually used where police officers are required to make a certain number of arrests, arrests every month, you know, and, if, and that's part of their performance review. And so if they're not meeting that quota, you know, they may be passed over for a promotion. And I think that's just a, a terrible policy, you know. So uh, my approach would be to, you know, give an absolute pardon to everybody who's uh, sitting in jail uh, just because of what they put in their body, you know, some, some victimless crime, let them return to their families, um, return to their jobs. Uh, that will definitely help, you know, the, the economy. And with, the, you know, the money that we're saving, um, you know, we can, we can put that back into the pockets um, of the citizens. Um, and, and really strengthening... In, you know, improving the relationship yeah. between the police and the, and the communities. Well, uh, I have to say, Andy Craig here. Sorry, I was running a little bit late this evening. But um, speaking of the, the pardon power, um, I mean, that's something that I think a friendly precedent has been set um, by the incumbent and with what he's done with the uh, voting rights for felons, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. That happens to be the Virginia political news I've seen in the past few days. Right. I mean, you know, I think it's it's great. I mean, really, if you look at the history of that law, it's a very unusual law. There's not many places where people lose their voting rights permanently for any felony like there are in Virginia. And, uh, you know, the, the original purpose of that, uh, it seems from the records was, you know, discriminatory, uh, prejudicial in, in nature. And I think it still is working that way. And uh, for nonviolent felons, and, you know, um, I think that it's, it's wonderful, you know, to give them back their, their, their voting rights. And, but, but I want to go, you know, farther than that. I mean, if somebody's in jail just for smoking marijuana, you know, something that's legal in, 28 other states and the District of Columbia, uh, you know, let them out. And, uh, you know, if, if they're only in jail for that and give them an absolute pardon so they can expunge their records, you know, because it's so hard to get a job if you have a felony, you know, on your, on your um, record. So many employers do background checks. So, you know, I would, I would pretty much continue, you know, that policy and, and take it a step farther. 
You mentioned earlier about police officers having to make a certain number of arrests. I don't know if that's totally true. I know in Chesterfield County, they're expected to make a certain number of contacts with people, whether that's answering a call or a traffic stop or an encounter with a citizen. It was it wasn't saying actual arrest, but that maybe there's other departments. But I know with Chesterfield, it was just how many contacts they were supposed to have. Okay, yeah, and sometimes it's unclear because the department may not want to have you know a written policy that looks really bad, you know. But I have heard that uh, arrest quotas are legal in Virginia, and I have heard a lot of they allegations a, of different departments. They should give a bonus to the cop who has the least number of interactions. <laughs> I know also that that means he has um, no crime in his beat. Exactly. <laughs> right. There's, there's also an issue of federal funding, where where there's uh, federal funding that goes to state police departments, and it's dependent uh, largely on number of drug arrests, number of dr- well, amount of drug seized. Yeah, right. They did the same thing with the 55 mile an hour speed limit too, which that's totally unconstitutional, you know. But they, they, they there shouldn't be federal money for state police departments or local law. Right. That should be handled by jurisdictional taxation. You know, the federal right, yeah. government shouldn't yeah. have anything to do with that. That's yeah, I agree. I mean, screwed up. No, no so, you know, police. power. Yeah. So these are these are very very important topics. I'm glad you're running them on. But I have to take a slight divergent to ask you about something that's really not at all important and yet is in the news. Sure. Uh, and that's uh, this this Corey Stewart fellow, who I gather is a candidate in the Republican primary, not likely to win it, is my understanding. Um, but is kind of waging his single issue campaign about the Confederate monuments and forcing, I believe it's Leesburg. Uh, from what I saw, or some town that had taken one down, he wants to force them to put it back up. Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I don't kind of. Sure, go ahead. You see where I'm going. I mean, ahead. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that you know is not a decision that should be made at, at the state level. I mean, I think I, I can I can understand you know both sides of these sort of monument controversies. I mean, people who want to take it down and people who want to keep it up. But I mean, that's the problem that you run into when you, you put government in that position in the first place. I mean, well, you know, why is government picking and choosing, you know, who gets a monument and then paying with public funds, you know, for, for monuments. I mean, if some private person wants to put up a monument for someone who they really respect all, all the more power to them. Um, but, you know, you're just begging for, for trouble when you're using uh, taxpayer money you know, to build these monuments for, for people that, you know, not everyone agrees is a, you know, a role model or someone who should be celebrated, you know? So I, I don't know really what the solution is, but I mean, I would keep it definitely as much of a local, you know, decision as possible. You know, one idea that, that I had, and I don't know how feasible this is, uh, but, you know, if you were to, you know, sell the monument, right. And then it would be who, whoever, you know, values it the most, they can sort of do whatever they want with it, you know, and it's no longer a government issue where taxpayer money is being used to maintain, you know, these monuments. I, I think that's something that the government probably shouldn't be involved in in the first place. So wait, so you, your idea is have the government sell the monuments to private enterprise? Uh, well, it's an idea, right? Auction it off, take that money that, you know, you made from it, put it back in the pockets of the taxpayers. I mean, uh, admit that they made a mistake, right? They shouldn't be in the business of really setting up monuments in the first place. And then 
you know, if, if it's uh, the person who now owns it, right, it's their private person, they're free to, to keep it up if they want to. They're free to take it down if they want to. It's just a, I haven't really, you know, thought about oh, that I mean, too, I too much. But, idea. I, I haven't yeah. heard that idea before. I love it. That's a really yeah. good libertarian idea. No, it's something. You mean sell it? You mean, I don't you mean know like somebody Virginia, like. But it's been done in some states I know where like the Sons of Confederate Veterans or some group right. like that. Will take control of it, and you know they do it through a transfer, and then it's private. Well, it, 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 the issue is whether they, it, you know, you move it because I mean, like in New Orleans, we've got these fantastic places like Lee Circle. It's a it's it's a citywide, you know, um, um, place of interest. You know, I mean, a landmark. It's mm-hmm. a yeah, it's a landmark. You know, we got Jackson Square. We got. Yeah, you know, some of the other ones I don't really even know, but those two are they're they're landmarks in the city for sure. I mean, they have ones to Beauregard and Davis and the KKK. I agree, so take take all some of that stuff down. But I mean, the issue becomes the land. You know what I'm saying? You, you pull the landmark sure. off the land. It's that, that's sort of what's going on in New Orleans with some of these big ones that people are concerned about. But yeah, the monument fight's going on strong down here. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I sure don't it'll think be. It's, Sure, it'll stay controversial. (laughs) I'm sure it'll stay controversial, you know, for some time. I I I doubt that they're going to take my, you know, advice. Um, But uh, (laughs) you know, I I I try not to get uh, you know involved too involved in the culture war stuff. I mean, it's just something that uh, it's it's difficult to work those out at the political level. It's you know, it's better if people can work it out, uh, you know, on the cultural level. Well, and even if it is local government, like it, I like that point about. You know, let the local government be making these decisions, not Richmond. Right. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part, you know, with devolving power as much as possible to the local level where, you know, the elected officials are hopefully a little bit more responsive to, you know, what the taxpayers want. I, well, and, interesting thing Andy, about it, it, okay, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make my point Mark, quickly, so. Jeffrey. Um, Andy, you were talking about Corey Stewart and his one-issue campaign, that's literally it because every ad I see for him on Facebook, it says, Robert E. Lee, you're safe with me. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's literally well, I, I have the a, ads that he's – I have a kind of a funny story, I guess, about Corey Stewart because I, I spoke at the Shad Plank Festival not long ago, and uh, Corey Stewart and Frank Wagner also spoke there. Uh, and I spoke right before um, Stuart. And, uh, you know, as I was walking off the stage after speaking, you know, he shook, he shook my hand and introduced himself. And he said, great speech. You know, I agree with most of it. Uh, and then he walked up and started giving his speech. And immediately a plane started flying around overhead with a Confederate flag behind it saying, you know, vote for Corey Stewart. So uh, <laughs> I guess he was just being nice, but I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's that's well, something. Right. I think we can all agree that's probably not the most important issue to be running for governor on. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> but I just had I just had to ask because I've seen that recently. I can't sum up with New Orleans and then his response to it. But um, one thing I did want to mention, and this is something I I think I brought up with Joe before, um, and that's kind of the the unique in a good way situation Virginia is in. So you've got, obviously there, you've got D.C., you've got Northern Virginia that has a lot of the federal stuff in it down to, you know, Newport. But comparing Virginia versus Maryland, 
Virginia doesn't. I mean, the federal government's a big part of the economy, a big chunk of the economy there, but it's much more diversified. It's not this kind of calcified, it's all just bureaucracy economy that you would kind of worry, frankly, I would worry about if I was right next door to D.C. Yeah. And, you know, I guess my question is there is, is, you know, what, what can you do to keep that going and keep, kind of the economy diversified and not just becoming kind of dependent on congressional budget allocations and, you know, government employees. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's definitely industry everywhere you go. I mean, you know, you go to Hampton Roads and along the Chesapeake and you have those industries that are, you know, um, focused on the, the Chesapeake Bay and, you know, elsewhere they have uh, some manufacturing industries and in Northern Virginia, they have a, a pretty good IT industry, uh, high-tech sort of industry uh, that's sort of expanding outwards. So, you know, I think there's a lot, definitely a lot there other than right, government contractors, which, uh, you know, admittedly is a big big part of the economy, especially up in Northern Virginia. But I think it's just a matter of, you know, removing barriers, regulatory and, and tax barriers to business growth. You know, it's about uh, encouraging business formation and business expansion, you know, taking those maybe mom-and-pop shops, family uh, you know, businesses and, you know, expanding those uh, into medium size or, you know, publicly traded businesses. And, you know, that, that there's a big role to be played there by just removing, you know, some of these things that are especially burdensome to small businesses, some of these taxes that require you to keep, you know, uh, inventory and that they have to send inspectors out and things like that, that discourage people from growing too big, attracting too much, much attention you know, I, I think it's just a matter of taking taking the you know burdens out of the way and letting allowing people to to, to grow things. You know, I hear a lot about uh, the government and having plans for different areas and how they're going to encourage economic growth. And you know, I think that a lot of times the last thing people need is the government coming in with a plan for how to you know improve their economy. I think what they need is to be left alone by the government. Uh, get government get out of their way. Let them do their thing. They know the local economy. They know. Uh, you know, what's working for them and just, uh, you know, allow them to, to grow the economy and uh, to diversify sort of naturally. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of different kinds of industry going on in Virginia and lots of, you know, opportunity for, for growth in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. So you're not a big fan of central planning then? <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> Yeah. How's your uh, campaign team coming together? How are you looking on the uh, organizational front? It's good, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we are, uh, I think, you know, moving forward in, in, in the near future with the um, nomination, you know, the convention coming up. I mean, um, we're trying to get everything together. We kind of came into the race a bit late, you know, so we're kind of doing, uh, you know, we're, we're reaching out and we're speaking to people, but uh, you're not, we're not really trying to make a big wave because we're trying to get everything figured out internally, but we're almost there, you know, I think we'll be uh, pretty much, we should have a team set, you know, by the convention. So um, I, I'm pretty excited about it moving forward. And that's this Saturday for those folks. Correct who are listening, who want to come, and Jeff, you're local, so, um, you know, and it's, and it's, it's in time, Chesterfield. The time and the uh, place one, again in Chesterfield? Um, it's yeah. 1 o'clock, I, I think, and mm-hmm. Cliff, correct me if I'm wrong, 
It's at the Meadowdale Library. <laughs> I actually have no idea. I had to go back and look. <laughs> I think that I'll I'll get the information to and put it on our on our page. But it's um, I think okay. it's Meadowdale Library, and if you go to Libertarian Party, the Libertarian Party of Virginia website, which is lpvirginia.org, org, um, it's all uh-huh. listed there, and you just pay your national and local state dues and you're good. I mean you can you can go but if you don't have both of those paid you can't vote. So um it's a good idea to get those paid up and then and then show up and let's get this guy nominated so we can move forward and and bring down the two major party candidates, whoever that's gonna be and that's what I wanted to ask you about, Cliff. Who do you think your opponents are going to be when all the dust settles. Well, it seems like Gillespie has a pretty big lead, um, and uh, it seems like on the other side things are moving towards Periello. So that seems like the most likely matchup. I saw some, yeah. some stuff recently about you know their different proposals, and it, it seems like uh, more of the same. You know, nobody's really proposing much in the way of, you know, cutting taxes or anything like that. Uh, like I said, you know, Gillespie's test is about, you know, a tenth of the size of mine, uh, you know. So they're not, they're not going to change much. I think you, you really can't expect much change if you keep voting for big government candidates. You know, you're going to keep getting their sort of big government uh, solutions that, that don't really fix anything. So I'm um, hopeful that I'll get a lot of support. I think it's yeah, kind of funny I, I, getting uh, former national committee chairs to run for governor of there. Yeah. You know, the national yeah, party, I mean, what, was the RNC chair and uh, uh, who before him was the DNC chair. Yeah, I, I think that um, Ed Gillespie has had his eye on this um, governor's race since before he ran for the Senate in 2014 because he knew he was going to lose that. I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, and he's probably got his eye on some other seat that he's going to run for after he loses this one. Um, so, but yeah, it is interesting that they're that they're doing that. Um, but yeah, I wasn't aware that Periello was was ahead on the Democrat side. Um, yeah, I had heard it was even, pretty even for a while, but that was just something I heard. I'm, you know, I'm not really that up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you've got hey, to concentrate Cliff. on your own campaign. <laughs> right. Cliff, in your experience, Go ahead, Jeffrey. You, you had, what, what particular experience do you have that makes you qualified to be a governor? In your, in your, what have you done to, you know, in the executive capacity? Any particular experience stand out? Well, you know, I'm basically a small business owner. I mean, I've I've owned uh, my own practice in the past, and now I'm a, you know I'm a partner. So, you know, I understand uh, how government regulations affect you know businesses, and you know I have people uh, who who work for me, you know, um, in a full time or part time capacity, and you know I understand how what business you know what government does affects you know hiring decisions and 
um, you know, decisions of what, you know, whether to expand or uh, to, to ramp up or ramp down, you know, so I, I think that gives me some insight. Uh, it's actually pretty common, you know, for, I don't have any kind of political experience, uh, but that's not so unusual for, for the governor position. You know, I think about 25% of uh, sitting governors actually had no prior, you know, elected uh, position. So, um, you know, I think just the general awareness of the issues and, and being a lifelong resident of Virginia and, you know, being a business owner, you know, gives me some good insights. Yeah, because Gillespie's certainly not a lifelong resident of Virginia. He's he's probably mm-hmm. what you might call a carpetbagger. We seem to have a lot of that here in Virginia for some reason. I know. Are there any other libertarians I, uh, running? Are there <laughs> libertarians running for governor? Not at this well, we time, don't... no. He wanted and to know so if there were any other libertarian candidates vying for the position of governor. Yeah, I had heard so that. And I told you who's... This convention you is locked up for Cliff, right? The convention is this weekend? Yes, yeah, so on right. Saturday. Okay, yeah, I had heard so that Cliff there's somebody like... from New York, you know, mm-hmm. who's basically, if I understand correctly... Uh, sort of a, a crazy person <laughs> who's who's going to be there too. So there may be a little bit of drama, uh, but I don't I don't believe. Oh, I didn't hear that. Uh, well, yeah. welcome to the Libertarian Party. <laughs> yeah, we I'm wouldn't be the too. Libertarian Party without just, some drama. Just, just, I, I knew so I knew that. Hopefully, um, that he's stripping on C-SPAN at this one. <laughs> no. But, you know, Andy, he said it's somebody from New York. I knew Larry Sharp was running for governor, but I didn't know it was of Virginia. <laughs> I don't think it'll be Larry Sharp showing up to run for governor of Virginia, but who knows? Anything could happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, I that's the first I'd heard about that, Cliff. So um, I'll, I'll look into that. Um, yeah, I'd like to see who the guy is. I, it's not going to sway yeah, my he's vote. Got a, <laughs> he's got a, uh, an interesting Wikipedia entry. So, um, yeah, I don't uh, – I'm, I'm not concerned about that, but, you know, definitely looking to reach out, you know, to everybody who's going to be there and encourage them, you know, to, to come and, uh, you know, hear me out and uh, hopefully, um, you know, vote for me and uh, hope to secure the nomination. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. crazy person and none of the above. What is your chance of being able to get into the debate with the two uh, major party candidates? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm sure they're going to do, you know, everything they can to to keep me out. You know, um, hopefully we'll be working with some, some people who worked with, with Rob. And, and uh, I, I know also um, have, I'm planning to speak with uh, a guy who was uh, Charlie Munger, who who ran for governor in North Carolina as libertarian candidate, and he did get into debates with the major candidates. So maybe he has some ideas for me as well. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up, Cliff, there is hope because um, uh, Mark Wicks, who is running for the House in Montana, he got into the debate with the two major party candidates simply because the internet was too loud. The station caved in because they were getting more mail than they could handle. More email, more phone calls. I mean, I heard they were even getting snail mail, and they and they just gave up. 
because people people were telling him, you know, your canned response isn't cutting it, and it, and until you put Mark Wicks in the debate, we're not going to stop writing you. Yeah. And okay. so they well, maybe that's his approach. Yeah. <laughs> they they put it. They I mean he got in and um, Andy, did you watch that? I did. He did very well. Um, I thought he particularly he was going up against a. A very poor Democrat um, who's not not even really in the race there in Montana. He's a poet. That's um, right. And then uh, the Republican was kind of like such canned politician, like stereotypical almost. Um, and, you know, our guy got in, was kind of colorful, told a few jokes, and uh, was very persuasive and went very well. And he was it was the three of them together. I mean, I'm pretty sure those are the only three candidates on the ballot there. Um, for this special election for U.S. House because the incumbent was named as Secretary of the Interior. Uh, and so, yeah, no, it's uh, it, pressure. I mean, that's absolutely, if they don't, if they can get away with ignoring us and not get any public pushback from it, that's what they'll do. Well, one of the things that I found interesting, and I don't know how to counter this, but after the debate, um, the there were there was a panel of th- four people and then one guy had to go, uh, so it ended up being three. But they they this woman asked them what they thought of the debate, and the first two guys said Mark Wicks won it hands down. The third guy was going on and on about how third party candidates don't win and this and that. But then he finally had to concede that, yeah, Mark Wicks won the debate. You know, he said, I hate to say it, but that he did. And then the next day, all the Montana newspapers wrote about a two-man debate between a Republican and a Democrat and barely mentioned Mark Wicks in the entire article. <laughs> so I, I don't know how you counter that, how you – I mean – it's almost like they said, "Oh my God!" They said he won. We have to do something about this. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, maybe um, just uh, bring it up on social media, write letters to the editor, and uh, you know, rub their noses on it. I don't know. That's a that's one of the best of ways. Yeah, that's one of the best ways to get the message across is writing letters to the editor. I encourage that uh, to your local paper. Um, write letters. To the editor, if you live in Northern Virginia, write a letter to the editor to the Washington Post, uh, the Washington Times, all of those things. Um, they'll print them, even if they don't agree. Excuse me, even if they don't agree, they'll print them, and uh, you, it's a it's a good free way to get your message across. Um, I I talked to one guy in 2013 who said he didn't even know Rob Sarvis was running until he read something that one of my friends wrote as in, you know, a letter to the editor in the local paper where he lives. And he said, that's when I decided, you know, I can vote after all because there's a candidate running that, that fits my views. So that's a good, hmm. that's good free advertising. So before we let you go, Cliff, um, why don't you tell the folks out there how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure. Well, my uh, Facebook po- uh, page is up, uh, you know, facebook.com slash Cliff Hira. Uh, there's uh, some information on there, and you can, if you have questions for me, you can you can ask them through that. 
Um, there's also, if you're interested in contributing any of your, your time to the campaign, there's a, a website. It's uh, va4ch.com, and the four is the number four, va4ch.com. Uh, we're still working on the formal website, uh, cliffhire.com, so look for that to be released you know, in the next few days. Um, but uh, definitely encourage everyone to you know, follow me on, on Facebook and uh, you know, keep, keep in touch. Uh, and, and if you're, you know, uh, able to contribute anything to the campaign, you know, I, I really appreciate every everyone who, who helps in any way. All right. Yeah, we um, that would be good. Um, as, as Jackie Mason said at one of their events early, campaign donations are like yeast because they they grow and they help us get more money and help the campaign grow and get on the ballot. Do you know how you're doing on ballot access at this point? I think we're doing very well. You know, we're uh, ahead of schedule. We have until June 13th, and, you know, we have the uh, the paid petitioners out in force, so I don't think we should have any problems in that area. Wonderful. Yeah, I talked to Bob Lynch um, Sunday night, last night, and I, I'll be seeing him tomorrow, so he has more of a of a total number there, and it's always interesting to hear from him where we are and how much he has left to do. So, anyway, well, Cliff, hey, we enjoyed having you on, but he's wonderful. He's probably the best in the country. Um, I wish more people would give him um, his dues. I really do. But uh, anyway, um, we enjoyed having you on. And we'll probably have you back on again before the election. And then uh, once you get to the governor's mansion, maybe you can mm-hmm. squeeze us in on your calendar. And have a dinner party. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, All right, Cliff. Well, me. thanks for coming on. I enjoyed it. Uh, you're very welcome. Talk have a good night, time. sir. Good luck. Thanks. Hey, you too. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Bye. All right. Well, um, Andy, we have you on, and the the big question of the day um, is, uh, was Andrew Jackson alive during the Civil War? (laughs) He was not, but I knew that before today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, my joke that I posted on Facebook about it was – I give Trump credit for coming up with a stance on the Civil War so confusing that uh, neither side can figure out how to argue it under their usual uh, rote script they always use. <laughs> oh, I mean, what is so funny is, to me, is that most of the folks on my timeline who were very vocal about um, Trump when things like this come up, it's like they lay low for a couple of days because they're embarrassed and they don't want to have to talk about it. You know? Oh, yeah. They hide. They all hide. All the Trumps put their, put their friggin' head in the ground when uh, when Trump opens his mouth, sticks his foot in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, what do you think, Andy, about um, Trump's tax plan? It's it's not a plan. It's a single page bullet. Like, that's my thing about it is it's got some good stuff in it. It's got some bad stuff in it. This is just – this is not a plan, though. This is not a bill that's trying to pass through Congress. It's just a set of 
sounds good talking points, um, which is a thing this administration does because people give them credit for proposing something, and I don't get credit for proposing anything. Um, once he's actually signed something into law, then he can take credit for it. Uh, but 90% of this crap that we never get. Just like that budget he tossed out there that, you know, was going to cut all sorts of things by, you know, double-digit amounts. And, of course, he totally caved on all that, too, today. Um, oh, he, uh, he's so. caving on everything because um, the the thing is, though, I did have one they Trump call, they supporter. They call him a caveman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, one Trump supporter did tell me early this morning that it's not that Trump doesn't believe in those things and doesn't want them. It's just unrealistic for people to believe that you can just waltz into Washington, D.C. and and just get what you want. And I said, but that's what he ran on. Right. Well, the other thing is with this tax plan, so, you know, it's a lot of big tax cuts, but it doesn't even try to claim to be revenue neutral. It wouldn't be. Um, and there's no spending cuts to go with it. And so, you know, it's the same mistake Bush made, same mistake Reagan made is, you know, I'll pass tax cuts and then hike up spending and just blow out the debt um, deficits. That's, you know, that's that's not going to fly. I mean, that's it's it's so far out there on that front that it won't even get the votes of the deficit hawks it needs in the GOP, um, you know, in order to pass the House or Senate. Yeah, I, you know, none of this is surprising regarding Trump, but I have, you know, the level of hypocrisy and just blind. Um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, faithfulness or whatever you want to call it, that these Trump supporters have for him. Party allegiance is just, it's, it's, it's all, it's almost worse than the way the Democrats were with Obama. Um, because at least the Democrats tried to, you know, at least the Democrats tried to come up with some coherent reason for why they were supporting um, Obama, well, it's going to take him more than two years, more than one term to um, undo what his predecessor did and and all that and so on. But, I mean, the Trump supporters, I mean, they're basically now saying Trump never promised he was going to build a wall. All he said was that it would be a good idea if we had one. <laughs> and, when you, and when you show them the videos of Trump saying that the a great big beautiful wall with a great big beautiful door, and Mexico will pay for it. They said, "Well, that video's been edited, and that voice doesn't even sound like Donald Trump." <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't know. I mean, for what it's worth, he's he's sitting around a. Um, among Republicans, about an 82% approval rating. And that sounds high, and that sounds like, oh, my God, how can he still have that? But that's actually on the lower end for what you normally expect a president to have for their own party. I mean, Bush and, and uh, Obama at this point, they're well up in the 90s among their own party in the polls. So, uh, I, mean, I don't The last person what... to miss the White House press correspondence dinner was, I think, Reagan when he got shot. That's, 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 that's a valid excuse. Well, then, uh, that's I a valid excuse. 
there's been times when they like sent the vice president because the president was abroad on some trip or something. And I mean, I know there's been one since, right? But every president or something like that has, has been to at least one of them. Um, even if they weren't necessarily there every single year. So, well, you know, the thing, is, Andy, yeah. the, the, the thing, the thing is Trump's trying to make everybody think, well, I'll show the media. I'll show them. I'm not going to be there. You know, screw them. But that's not what it is at all. He's so thin-skinned, he won't be able to take all the barbs and ribs from the people up there on the podium that he doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. That's what it is. Of course, famously, you know, he's he's been there in that room and been the target when uh, I think it was in 2011 when he was making his name as Mr. Where's the birth certificate and like two days before Obama had released his birth certificate and Trump was there and he got like really mocked by Obama and he supposedly like really hated that. Um, oh yeah. I, yeah. You know, I mean, he's, yeah, he's Patch Clinton. Don't get me wrong, the White House Correspondents Association dinner is a hideous thing that I could just as happily do away with anyway. I I watched uh, Hassan Minaj's bit uh, that he did there, and there were a few decent jokes in it, but it mostly, it was, it was mostly garbage. Um, well, it's not going to be as funny. With... Obama made me laugh when he did it. Hmm. Yeah, no, Obama yeah, did I mean, pretty good bits. Obama did some pretty funny bits. George uh, W. Bush did some pretty funny bits. Um, at uh-huh. it. I mean, Clinton, Red Reagan. I, mean, I think, I don't know, I think you'd probably have to go back to uh, George H.W. Bush, I would say, would be the last president who didn't really have much of a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> uh, neither does Trump, but in a very different way. Oh, I know. I mean, I... The only time I've ever seen Trump laugh, really laugh, is when um, he was bragging about sexually assaulting a woman. Um, (laughs) You know? Joe, I mean, that's not funny. Is that a joke or are you serious? Is that true? Uh, Well, when when he was – you remember when he was on that bus with – what's that, Andy? I was just just explaining this. What reference you were making? Yeah, to the Billy Bush thing when he was on that bus, and he was talking about <laughs> um, all that, all that the stuff, you know. Talk. Yeah, right. the locker room yeah. talk, and then talk. when he the when he came the off the, the president that we can't repeat on blog talk. Yes, <laughs> but um, the the thing is, when he came off that bus with Billy Bush, he was laughing his tail off. And it's smiling and everything else, you know, and I guess he was thinking oh, back to what he had said. He had a big old smile on his face after that meeting with the Chinese when uh, when uh, his daughter got those concessions in China. That put a brown on his face. I wonder how much that was worth. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Um, the guy that President Trump invited to the White House. What do you think about that, Andy? The guy that he invited to the White House? Yeah, Are today. The, yes, uh-huh. Oh, uh, Duterte. Um, no way, he invited yeah. Duterte? Oh, man. 
Yeah, no, the guy who's killed thousands of people in this kind of like extrajudicial genocide on drugs. Um, I mean, I, that's it's a, it's a pattern Trump has shown before that he kind of sucks up to dictators and looks up to or admires men type. I mean, I don't even really know what to make of it other than I'm sure the State Department was horrified. I mean, that's not usually... So when you... I, I guarantee you what happened is Trump was talking to this guy on the phone like they do, you know. And he was just like, yeah, man, this is great. You should come to the White House. And <laughs> like even... I, I saw even Duterte's response like to his foreign ministry was, well, we have other trips planned right now, and we'll wait until we get a formal letter of invitation from the White House. <laughs> so, I mean, oh. you know, crazy shoot people in the street president of the Philippines that they have understands how the diplomatic protocol of this sort of thing works and knows like not to take at face value an offhand remark that Trump made as an actual invitation because that's not how it works. <laughs> but did y'all see the thing too where today where they said they publicized that Trump said something like, you know, he would like to meet with uh Kim John uh Un over there in Korea in the right circumstances. Well he had said that I think he had said that back during the campaign and then got asked about it recently and was like yeah, I mean that's that's not gonna happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that there's talk somewhere in the administration pushing. I don't mean you know you can never really say how much this is Trump himself or not, but there were hawks in the administration pushing for a tougher line on North Korea, um, just like they are in the Middle East. So. I don't know. I mean, I certainly hope he doesn't end up starting a shooting war in Korea. That would not be good. No, it would not. But, you know, I'd much rather see Trump go visit North Korea than start a shooting war. Well, I don't think that's going to happen either. I I think there's no way the North Koreans even want to or would go through with that. I mean, they already have one crazy leader in their country. They don't need another one. Right. I love I love the picture of, of Trump with uh, John Un's hairdo. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. Yes. Well, um, we certainly do have uh, Trump. We we should be thankful for Trump because he's he's given us a lot to talk about. I mean, just about every day there's something new. And I do think there's something to the theory that that some people have that he does this just to get the media stirred up so that they won't be paying attention to some of the other stuff he's doing. I mean, I get fatigued. I mean, for God's sake, we're 100 days in. It's only been 100 days. It feels like it's been 470, 11 years. Um, I mean, everybody's got just, but he, like you know, you can't follow it all. It's six or seven or eight things a day that would have been major, months-long headline scandals. And in the other administration, I, I I just can't even keep track of it all. Hmm. Well, yeah. What else is going on besides Trump? 
else is going on? What's that? They passed, a trillion, they passed a trillion dollar spending bill yesterday. Right, yeah, where Trump caved on all his domestic. Yeah, to avoid a government but, shutdown. Right, the bipartisan. There was never going to be a government shutdown. Exactly. No, we all know that. Where the Democrats get to say, oh, look, Trump proposed these massive cuts and we stopped them. And Trump gets to say, look, I got my increase in defense and military spending. It's the same. Like, that's one, that's one thing that has not changed at all under Trump is that kabuki theater dance they go through. Bipartisan agreement, Andy. I mean, you call it what it is. I mean, don't you know what George Carlin said? Right, right. I mean, the word bipartisan means a larger than usual deception is being carried out. That means you're just going to yeah. get screwed twice as hard. Yep. yep. Well, that's the deal they always come to is, you know, you get to spend mm-hmm. on your special interest nonsense, and we get to keep spending on our special interest nonsense, and we, you know, mm-hmm. both get to you know, go to our base and say we stop you from not spending money on our side. It's just it's just so rote predictable kabuki theater. Yeah. So well, gentlemen, um it's been a fun evening and we had a great guest and uh, hopefully we'll have someone um just as good uh, on our next show. Um, working on that now. Uh, so, um, as always, it's fun to talk about the issues. And before I go, I just want to say if you can make it to the Libertarian Party of Virginia convention next Saturday, uh, the 6th, this coming Saturday, that is, um, just go to ltvirginia.org, O-R-G, and all the convention information is there. So, um I should add that um, I believe at the convention uh, it might this it might be at the convention or it might be the state committee that ends up doing this later or afterwards. But I think it's going to be at the convention. Y'all will be picking a seat. Uh, in any event, the, the Virginia Party will be picking a seat on the platform committee uh, to join mm-hmm. me and uh, Jeff Myron and uh, some some members appointed by the National Party. Some are appointed by the larger. Yeah, we have we have we have one candidate running for that so far. Um, uh, who's that? What's that? I was just saying, who's that? Oh, Matt Chalko. Mm. I was going to write you about it later, but because um, um, there, uh, yeah, I'll I'll write you about that later. Um, All right, Andy. <laughs> yeah, just a heads up. That's that's something that I believe the uh, the Virginia Party will be uh, will be doing. So yeah, I don't have anything to say about particular candidates, but just heads up. So anyway, well, gentlemen, um, had a great show, and we'll do it again at the end of the month. Right. So um, you guys All take right. care. Yes, you guys sir. have a great yeah. night. All right. All right. Good night.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.